0: Yeah, we don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to scare anybody.
1: to leftover this is arjun
2: and i'm rory full of the christmas spirit
1: it is the season indeed and uh, we are joined by a very special guest from halfway across the world in fact all the way from it's johannesburg isn't it right now that you are yeah that's correct yeah brilliant uh all the way from johannesburg south africa sipo Uh i hope i Pronounce that correctly Nailed it. Uh, uh writer and journalist <laughs> <laughs> writer and journalist to discuss the enigma that is south africa um and uh, and it's it's various different paradoxes uh in the in the years leading up to um the end of apartheid and the and the years since and the um, and the 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 constant chaos that that surrounds the ANC. (laughs) Uh, But um, yeah, I mean, where do we even get started? Really? I mean, um, FW de De Klerk, Frederick Willem de Klerk, the final apartheid president of South Africa, died last month, didn't he? And um, yeah, there there were quite a few very predictable tributes from uh, the the various colonial apologists uh, in the in the British media, of course.
3: If you guys uh, were on Twitter on the day that his death was announced, you probably would have seen by far and away the best tributes to his death. Like, SA Twitter was just party mode for about 24 hours. People took the day off. Every single radio station called in. It was just... Chaos We were calling it drunk People set off fireworks When uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa Eventually spoke at his memorial He had quite a long paragraph About "Can, can we please Let this go now can we? He... <laughs> His Thames people clearly were on Twitter on that day. They were so there was an actual protest at the funeral. So yeah, yeah. Man, we gave that man a off.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like when Thatcher died in the UK, where you get this massive yes massive yeah. uh, difference between the media who are so kind of deferential and respectful. And the general population who, uh, like when you look at Twitter, the difference between the blue ticks and the the general population, it's pretty stark.
1: It was exactly that, yeah. Although although we are we are speaking to a blue tick right ah, now. Yeah. Kinda, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I still can't remember. You know, <laughs> I still can't believe they haven't taken it off me
3: because yeah. my God, I, the one thing that it's good for is is it it sorts your mentions. And also yeah. pushes any reply you do to the top. Yeah. So I am 1,000% sure that Matt
0: Hancock
3: yeah. and maybe any Democrat loser in the United States, they have all seen poop I have shown them poop-pick
1: yeah. That's what you get a blue tick
0: for if you want to know. <laughs> I mean that's
1: that's that's uh, you know good use of it and and uh, yeah oh they're they're yeah. gonna take you off me any
0: day now yeah. because I would, <laughs> man when I can
1: if you're gonna use it for anything you may as well just use it to to pose poop exactly <laughs> but
2: the um, um the, the Western sort of response to w, uh, F W de Klerk dying like everyone kept repeating this thing that he was the man who ended apartheid which is I suppose. <laughs> technically true in one sense but you know it's when you look at the context he was he was obviously the man who uh you, you know he took he took the jump at the last minute it was very much forced the country was heading towards a kind of a kind of civil yeah. war the global yeah uh, complete collapse yeah. um the
3: economic uh uh, basis of the country had been entirely hollowed out. Yeah. Um, yeah. the country had been looted to its knees, basically. There was yeah. nothing left to do but to press the stop button and then he did and got a Nobel Prize for it.
2: Yeah. That doesn't really mean much because exactly. when you look at like like Henry Kissinger <laughs> got yes. one, like Aung San Sushi
1: Barack Obama, Obama Barack yeah. Obama got a got a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> like the year that he got elected as president as well, it was amazing. Like for like providing hope <laughs> what like I, I don't get it even, it's like even it's like a, a, a guy wins a nobel it's like a, it's like a guy wins like a nobel peace prize like a nobel prize for literature for providing like a, a draft an outline yeah, you know, yeah. like, like a, a, a first edit like that, <laughs>
0: yeah, you <know>? yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> just
1: absolutely bizarre
0: yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't believe the
3: the Western media reaction to the collective. Although, I guess I can. Yeah. But in South Africa, um, I mean, obviously, it's not just the history and and, and the lingering sentiments around that. Um, one tries to r- remind people that um, I mean, eighty five percent of the country is black and uh, black African, however you want to say that, um, mm-hmm. and. Um, mm-hmm. It's been what twenty six years, twenty five years. It's, it's 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 within a lifetime, mm-hmm. and most adults alive today were born during apartheid. So it's not a mm-hmm. it's not a thing we read in the books. It's not like when you speak to someone in the United States about slavery, where for sure everyone who's experienced that yeah. has passed away. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. people's childhood memories and yeah. and so on. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, people yeah. got people were still very um. It's, it's, it's still a very, very uh, sore legacy. Um, and the fact that, um, number one, he died a murder suspect. I don't know if you guys know this. Um, De Klerk Nobel Prize in all, was still facing a police investigation around some of the crimes that happened under his tenure. Now, the man may have been a government minister for a decade or longer. Yeah. Um, so it's not... People like to talk about him as if he only had three years of doing apartheid. <laughs> no. Yeah. 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 Um, but <laughs> those three years were crucial at the, at the end there because um, we say that South Africa... Um, uh, avoided a, a civil war and had a peaceful transition. I mean, tens of thousands of people died. Yeah. It, it was carnage. Mm-hmm. It was a low-grade no civil war, and mm-hmm. in many ways, when we talk about crime in this country, it was it still is like it hasn't stopped. Um, mm-hmm. um but yeah. one of in, in at least one of those cases, there is ample evidence that four activists who were murdered in the in Craddock, in the Eastern Cape.
0: Yeah, um, that
3: order came mm-hmm. directly from. Uh, 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 the security cluster in the minister uh, in the national government which the mm. clerk would have checked and there's an actual document with his actual signature in which those four men are named and then the words are used mm. we need to get rid of them or we need to fix this problem
0: mm.
2: and then they
3: were up uh, they were kidnapped by the police and never seen again and wow.
0: um,
3: and wow. the families have been pushing all this time to have the police do an actual investigation because the whole point of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the way in which people would get amnesty there would be if you told the truth and would be if you if you gave a full account, basically. And to his dying day, declared denied the evidence that the documentation showed. He denied that he had anything to do with his death. So he didn't um uh, uh, the, the the TRC didn't apply to him therefore um and it was therefore an open murder investigation and when he died the four families released a statement saying and I quote it is sad that yet another apartheid criminal died without having accounted for the crimes he helped to perpetrate against our humanity. Declared takes to the grave information about our fathers that we needed, so that is where we were in this country as far as Declan's legacy is concerned. Yeah. And his final video that he released, and that sneaky bastard died, yeah. and then he released it, so he doesn't get the re- to see the replies. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but the fact that in there. He essentially is caveating and kind of glossing over, and and so on. He knew that this thing, the Craddock Four thing, hadn't gone away, and that he dies I made a murder suspect. I mean, the man's a oh, lawyer. Yeah, he knew, and that video just for me was final confirmation that yeah there's no sorry or excuse or i don't know a telegraph columnist is going to tell me about this man's legacy that isn't what we can see with our own
2: eyes yeah you know that was yeah that and obviously that became the that that final video which was released after he died when he when he apologizes for apartheid that became the sort of central legacy in the western press that's that's what they focused on but the reality is throughout his uh, throughout his life his, especially his late life he he was constantly arguing that you know apartheid wasn't a crime against humanity he said he kept blaming it he, he called it an ig pro- project initiated by the soviets this um this attempt to label apartheid a um, a, a crime against humanity and he was arguing this as late as 2019 so um oh yeah yeah right up right up until his death he was still very much very much an apologist and also he um he played a part in the in the uh arguing against the roads must fall movement uh he wrote uh, oh yeah yeah he, he was, he was, through he was, his foundation he, yes yeah he in 2015 he wrote a letter to the times uh arguing that um uh like the roads must fall movement, it's a uh, it shouldn't it should be forgiving of Rhodes because he he himself is a Boer and Cecil Rhodes. He did terrible things to the Boers, but he doesn't feel bitter about it. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a very strange. Like that—that's actually very British in a way. Like we have whenever there's whenever we have sort of uh, debates over racism and stuff. There's always someone that's, like saying like, "Well, no, well actually, kidding. we had it worse." You know, like, "Well, my my dad like yeah, went through yeah, this." Exactly, like, yeah. it's always. Like, the, the obvious response to that is, well, you should be angry about that if... <laughs> yeah. And also, it's complete bullshit.
3: I'm sorry.
0: Yeah.
2: The <laughs> idea that
3: the Afrikaners are over the the war. Yeah. Uh, that would be like trying to argue that the British are over World War 1. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Exactly.
3: <laughs> and then they tell us to get over apartheid. <laughs>
1: It's not like poppies are like a big thing over here, or anything. Oh, oh, oh! (laughs) I I have observed (laughs) poppy season.
3: It's like my annual holiday, personally, because just like how insane can one
1: day get, and my God, you guys find a new (laughs) level every year. It's amazing. (laughs) 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 Every, every, no, every year, like the size of the poppies and their display just gets a bit more deranged. It's, it's amazing. I love it. It's uh, this this year I saw for the first time. Maybe this has been a thing for a while, but this year I saw for the first time crocheted remembrance post boxes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, I saw those. Like those classic, like yeah, like classic, like British red letter boxes with like this weird like crocheted head of a soldier <laughs> like it's like what the like have you just stuck a fucking beheaded soldier's head on a spike like that's what that's what it looks like you know? when like, I saw those that's what they would show that's what they would put to like you know to, to, to make an example out of something yeah <laughs> like, the Tower of London or something you know like, when I saw those I, I could was. just imagine the person like
3: taking their the knitting in a bag, getting on the bus and, like four in yeah. the
0: Morning, so no one will
3: look at them like draping
1: it over the post box oh my god it's like it's it's like it's like ad busters, but for like yeah same british boomers <laughs> basically it's like banksy but for like <laughs> <ad busters. laughs> um but yeah, just like on this topic of the Clarks' legacy, right, and uh, and the fact that like I mean he was being uh, hailed by so many members, at least in the British press, you know. Like I was saying, you know, for me, for me at least, like in the UK, like that just seems so predictable yeah. when you look at, um, you know, as Rory was saying, you know, like the 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 whole reaction to the the Cecil Rhodes debate, mm-hmm. uh, you know, around the you know Rhodes Must Fall episode, like around like twenty sixteen and there is an article which we will come back mm-hmm. to which I which I will absolutely have to share with with both of yourselves and the audience because because it's it's quite a, an incredible <laughs> piece of writing uh but uh, just generally like the sort of colonial um, apologia in in this country oh. is just so ingrained into the national psyche yeah. and and like one of the most remarkable pieces of reporting I remember seeing in like recent years, I, I think this was back in 2018. You know, like about a year after the 2017 general election, right? You know, like when when the whole anti-Semitism stuff is like reached is starting to reach fever pitch at this point. Yeah. You know, like the whole like wreath gate and the whole all of that kind of stuff yeah, is yeah. like coming up at this point. And the IHRA definition uh, you know, uh, debate is happening at that time as well. And, you know, Corbyn is being, like, routinely portrayed on the media as, like, the next coming of Hitler. Like, like literally, like, there's people on national fucking radio talking about how, you know, Jeremy Corbyn is going to reopen Auschwitz, if given the opportunity. I mean, like, literally yeah. saying those words. That's not even an exaggeration. That was Simon Heffer saying that, you know. And at the same time, I remember, like, I think it was, like, the, the same week or the same day... Theresa May is doing like a state visit to South Africa and I think she was visiting Robben Island and there's this like front page of some which said something along the lines of May walks in Mandela's footsteps and I'm just oh my god you are you are you are actually taking the piss right like this is a woman (laughs) absolutely um you know, like this is a woman who who was like the head of the Home Office when they put out vans which told people to go home. You know, uh, they should have called it the, the Go Home Office. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she did. This is like this is a woman who's like you know, you know is 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 a member of one of the most overtly racist governments in in modern times. You know, like who's. Like yeah, David Cameron when he was you know in, in the Young Conservatives, like, like they were p- putting up posters saying "Hang man, hang Mandela." Yeah. Like, you know, like I mean, these are the people, who are like you know, like th- this is the breed of people that we're talking about. You know, like.
3: And then Theresa May said that she was proud of what uh, the British had done in South Africa. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: yeah, and like, and, and and it's and it's and it's actually fucking incredible, right? And like. Uh, and, and so, like, when you see that kind of stuff, like, when you see this this country's attitude towards just, like, colonial history in general, and then, obviously, it's very specific role, Britain's very specific role in South Africa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you know, when you hear about, like, Jacob Rees-Mogg talking about, like, concentration camps in the Boer yeah. Wars, which are, like, uh, as far as I know, the first recorded instance of, like, concentration camps in the world. Uh Uh, like just just the the sort of the the way that he talks about it as if like yeah it was just a thing and they were actually not not even that bad you know like um like these this this kind of like constant historical revisionism that 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 goes on in this country yeah like when you look at that and like when you look at the, the the sanitization of like mandela and all of that stuff that's happened since as well like it's 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 just so predictable that like this kind of reaction would happen. It's, it's
2: weird how defensive people get over figures like Cecil Rhodes, who was just a dumb rich guy. That, that's all he was. He was he was just yeah. kind of like a Trump of of that era. He was he was just a rich businessman <laughs> who named a lot of things after himself. You know, obviously, and <laughs> to this day, you've got things like the Rhodes Scholarship. But you know, it's just. Just a guy throwing his money about, like his his political career was a complete disaster. He he was um, yeah like, exactly. He, he was president of the Cape Colony for only like three years, and then he he did like the Jameson riots, and that he got completely owned by the Boers, and then died sort of yeah. in complete disgrace. <laughs> so it, it's weird, like yeah, re- reading all these columns <laughs> by like Douglas Murray saying like Cecil Rhodes, he's this symbol of our civilization and stuff, like he is just. He's just a random <laughs> like old school rich guy. Do they know what that means
3: when they say things <laughs> like that? Do they do they want us to take that face right? <laughs> Cause we remember Cecil Rhodes in this country. I don't know if you guys know that.
1: That's <laughs> the thing. Like, I mean, if you're saying that Cecil Rhodes is a symbol of like British civilization, maybe you are yeah. right, but yeah. not in the way that you intend. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like he was this really dumb, rich, racist. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it it is just it is just reactionary contrarianism though like if if students if yeah mostly non-white students are saying roads must fall then suddenly we've got to build them up as this heroic uh you know legendary figure like flying in the face of all evidence so obviously you expect that from you know the spectator and and all these rags. Like Unfortunately,
0: that. there's a cadre of
3: uh, South African columnists and writers and so on who do take their cue from
2: yeah.
3: the Telegraph, <laughs> the yeah. Spectator, that, that sort of set. Mm-hmm. So you do hear that sort of argument quite a lot. Uh, and it's quite pathetic the way that they so obviously want to be writing in the UK and <laughs> um, going as far as, uh, uh, um, I mean, the local. Uh, liberal opposition party, the Democratic Alliance, who even models itself on uh-huh. the, the Westminster model, but yeah. it doesn't make any sense because no other party is doing a shadow minister or
1: uh, anything of the kind. <laughs> um, and every now and then you have to remind are them. They just, are it. they just cosplaying like that? Kind of, oh, yeah. Cosplaying it's like
3: so that. pathetic. <laughs> it's so
1: sad. Um, and we, every now and
3: then you have to remind them that they live in South Africa. <laughs> I'm trying to remember now some <laughs> of the phraseology that they're trying to introduce. Oh, okay, good example actually is, um, so we recently came out of the local government elections and yep. the DA was campaigning very much and they don't split the vote uh, strategy, yes. which they try every every time. Um, And it it just doesn't work Because we don't have the the first-past-the-post system So there's no such thing as splitting the vote If you you, And because the South African Vote is split in two And you'll have a proportional Ballot and for your ward Or your region You can be a 1% or 2% party And conceivably have representation There's just no such thing As splitting the vote So these people are literally cosplaying Being just the dumbest English columnists <laughs> imaginable. They obviously all uh-huh. think Boris Johnson's just the best thing that's ever happened. And you just look at them, you're like, you vote. <laughs> These people set fire to your great grandfather's farm. This is how you're talking about them now. What the hell's wrong
0: with you? <laughs>
2: Yeah, so so through the yeah the proportional representation, you have seen the growth of smaller parties, but very rapidly oh, yeah. in the past decade. So the the and economic also... freedom fighters are the the main beneficiaries of this. They they won uh, about ten percent in uh, two thousand and nineteen, and they did they did very well. Yes. At the... Uh, Yeah, the 2021 uh, municipal elections, but that's not fully proportional representation. Yeah, it it differs
3: because um, also there are a lot of local dynamics um, that will skew results. um, But more or less, uh, municipal elections follow the trends uh, that the national elections more or less will set. Yeah. Um but you it wouldn't shock you probably to find out that the ANC is extremely unpopular at the local government yeah. level. But I don't think they'll lose twenty twenty-four. But it does give a massive opportunity to to the economic freedom fighters, but unfortunately also to problematic tendencies in this country. I mean the, the, the sort of Africana far right is, yeah. is obvious, yeah. but there's a genuine rise yeah. in a in a black right wing tendency. Yeah. that is extremely right. xenophobic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that mm-hmm. is the sort of uniting uh, uh, politics across church organizations and sort of like local business organizations. and You know, political parties spring out of all over the place in South Africa, but the one thing that sort of binds them is this extremely violent, like, fascistic xenophobia yeah. um, that came out. Uh, a, it came out quite a bit in the, in the elections. Now, um, one of uh, the pe- one of the parties that has sprang up quite out of nowhere really is led by the former mayor of Johannesburg, Herman Mashaba, who is mm-hmm. a Trump-ish figure in that he's a businessman who's coming to politics and he plays up his mm. business acumen. Um, as as giving him, uh, and and his his actual party um, called Action S.A., all of its posters in in all 11 official languages would say things like, sick of politics, vote for us, which I was like, okay, right? (laughs) Um, But he was playing off the whole, like, we're not politicians thing. Um, And then uh, when he had to reveal his funding, it turned out that all of his money comes from the Oppenheimer family. So, um, <laughs> like, what, dude? What are you on about? But um, he did quite well, anyways. And uh, he's he's in, in Johannesburg, for example. He supplanted the EFF as the third largest party in the city.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but um, in other places, didn't do quite as well. But yeah, we're seeing an extremely worrying tendency emerge of. If if you thought that Africans far right were going to be the the far right like problem in this country, I don't think that's going to be true in the long term. They they have a very set ceiling. Like when your target audience it comprises, I mean, white people are four percent, and and even so, I mean, you're counting children, then you count people who vote for other parties and so on. So yeah. there's a hard ceiling there. Whereas <laughs> yeah. if you go after black people, sky's the limit, baby. And I am very terrified.
1: Just to be specific, as well, um, you are referring to like xenophobia against, uh, you know, people coming from like Zimbabwe and like, yes. other neighboring countries, right? Yes, of course. Yeah. Um,
3: uh, obviously, uh, there's no such uh opprobrium or animosity to Europeans or um, mm, people from yeah. uh, other places. It's it's reserved for Africans. Yeah. Well, and uh, uh, and unfortunately. Uh, the Pakistanis as well, because um, so it, it's basically all about the the mega township economy, um, which you can just broadly understand as being the informal economy in this country. And um, there's there's very little penetration from the big corporations, yeah. You know the the retailers and mm-hmm. so on. So there are all these networks of these mom and pop shops, kind of, yeah. Um, or we call them spaza shops here. And uh, over the last 10, 15 years, there's been a lot of competition from immigrants, uh, but especially from Somalia and especially from Pakistan. And mm-hmm. that has been the source of a lot of, of, of anger around uh, uh, immigration. But yes, um, I think the people who tend to get it to the absolute worst all the time are sort of from Mozambique, Zimbabwe, yeah. uh, Lesotho, and so on.
2: Traditionally, the the opposition, uh, since the well, since the start of democracy, the the democratic alliance they're there is sort of nothing party. They're all over the place. It's really kind of weak centrist alliance. So it, that's what really emboldened the ANC to to sort of go full front into this deeply corrupt, almost you know, sort of autocratic. Yeah, there's no real opposition. Yeah.
3: To the ANC in the country and uh, luckily we have a young democracy and yeah. our laws were clearly written quite recently by people who are paying attention so you don't have this thing like you have in the UK or uh, in the US where you just have these anachronistic laws that just allow corruption like I just recently found out what the city of London actually is I think. What? Cannot believe oh my ears. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but we have <laughs> it's, it's, actual checks it's, it's and balances <laughs> that are written through the law. So, for example, yeah. our courts are extremely influential in terms of shaping law yeah. because they're allowed and they're permitted to, de- to develop law according to the constitution. Yeah. Um, so, there are all these centers of power that are distributed yeah. uh, throughout the country, which means that the ANC cannot, or, or at least, hasn't been able to collapse the country, even as it is consumed um, by just an unbelievable level of corruption. It feels unprecedented, but there are a lot of countries which which have this kind of a problem. I would say if you wanted to think of what the ANC is doing to the country right now, think of like what the Ukraine... Cryptocracy did there, you know, like a country that is stripped mm. to the bones, or like Russia in the 90s. Yeah. We're not quite there, but we're getting very close yeah. to a country that's yeah, being yeah, yeah. stripped down to the bare bones. But none of the political parties can touch the ANC. The ANC can only lose votes, the other parties cannot gain for yeah. some reason. Um, and which is also indicting of the EFF, kind of, because they seem to have hit a ceiling. Over between eight to ten percent, a municipality here, an official opposition seat there, but eight percent, and they and and they don't seem to be able to penetrate. And you know, uh, uh, we could do a whole entire podcast just on the EFF and what's going on there. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: But just, just, just uh, because I don't know how many of our listeners will know as well. So by the EFF, obviously, you mean the Economic Freedom Fighters, right? And that's led by, led by former. ANC leader Julius Malema.
0: Yeah,
3: the the EFF is basically if you if you should think of it as like a breakaway faction yep. of the ANC, which still retains its left radical politics. Yep. and stances so therefore mm. nationalisation of the banks, of the land, of the mines, um, therefore free education. Yeah, and so on. Um, and and they <laughs> they they one of the few parties that have an outspoken uh, I mean, the EFF's uh, borders policy is the nearest thing to open borders I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, they are uh, extremely vocal and uh, present for LGBT issues. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, problematic statements from some of their leadership aside, but you just don't see that with African uh, political parties and so on. Sure.
2: A, a lot of the evidence behind the the attacks on Malema and the EFF, it's all very spurious. Like the um, he it, so Malema, he sang the song like "Kill the Boer" or something, which is like a it's quite like a traditional song <laughs> in South yeah. Africa. I think like Zuma sang it as well at some point, and then so it, it's the cr- entire uh, ANC said that yeah. all the time. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it's and then so it becomes a whole thing in the media. It's very sort of Corbin esque. In, uh, yeah, hats. although there is an
3: actual uh corruption scandal yeah. around a, a collapsed bank yeah. called VBS Bank and there seems to be graft there, I, but yeah. it's in court and yeah. uh, so that's all I'll say about it. Um, yeah. But there are innumerable just nonsensical scandals that have followed the FFL uh, and it's because of their unapologetically black nationalist stance yeah. and uh, their and in many areas, they're Marxist politics. Yeah, not everywhere, but in a lot of the places that count, they show up as Marxist. And of course, well, I mean, you can imagine how that plays in this country.
2: So we should we should probably uh, go through the ANC uh, as a as a quick history. The thing which confuses people about South Africa is because they they see the ANC as a left wing party, which it. It obviously was at, at its inception and in 1955 they had this this freedom charter which was very left wing it called for radical nationalization a redistribution of land alongside what we saw with the the end of apartheid and, and full civil rights but after after winning power in 1994 they implemented neoliberal reforms and they 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 um, fully embraced the the Washington consensus of the IMF, the World Bank, all of that. Of course, um, de Klerk was still deputy uh, a deputy president at the time. This was part of the deal. So it, we, it, it was essentially a kind of a, a devil's bargain. Like, the uh, in order to end this segregated social and political order, they had to uh, perpetuate the economic structure of... Uh, apartheid south africa this is kind of what mandela had to compromise on uh, sort of reluctantly and then after that uh, mbeki comes in who was you know openly quite a neoliberal uh, economically liberal guy um and obviously and uh, continues to um implement free market policies despite the fact that there was this well, there's still to this day a tripartite alliance of the which includes the south african communist party so i think i i think that's what people find strange they look at they look at all the sim, symbols and the sort of nominal uh nominal parties of south african politics and think oh these are supposed to be left-wing and yet they're implementing all these this clearly very right-wing uh, government and right-wing state people finding it. yeah really and i think if you remember what
3: happened to um, what is the name of the greek uh party the sort of insurgent party that syriza back. syriza
2: yep. uh, Syritzi, yep. Syri- yes um,
3: and the sort of pressure that was applied there and uh, uh, you know in the age of 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 uh, social media and broadcast television we all got to get a good, long, hard look at what it looks like when the country just gets fucked, right? Yeah, exactly.
0: Um,
3: as I said earlier, um, uh, South Africa 1994 is a failed state in every possible yeah. definition of the word that you can think of. Uh, we take on a massive uh, a bailout from the IMF, yeah. um, and then there's the... the um, there was some sort of a financial crisis in the late 90s. Yeah. Um, uh, I remember... Twenty five percent inflation and so on, um, uncertain uh, debt. Um, so South Africa goes through a number of really hard knocks. Um, and basically, yes, the 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 National Party just went, all right, blacks, have at it, we're out of here. <laughs> um, and that was basically what the end of our project was. Um, so all, all these romanticized stories that you hear, yeah. are just trying to disguise the fact that. Basically, the apartheid government had run itself into the ground. Yeah, um, and the the deal was basically South Africa was going to implement neo neoliberal reform, um, and that's what uh, and that basically just ended um, the redistribution programs. I mean, never mind redistribution of land and so um, and and, and nationalisation of mines or banks or anything. A, a program called the RDP the reconstruction and development program was scrapped it was going to basically it, it was going to basically flood the country with money it was just going to build homes it was going to build infrastructure and at the time we're talking about a country which only 50 percent of people had electricity I think like only 60 percent of people had access to clean water and so on the, the, the opportunity was obvious yeah and the benefits were manifest but not to the ANC government um, and long story short, we went through a long period of, of um, austerity, basically, yeah. developmental austerity, where instead of building roads, building schools, building bridges, um, I mean, building clean toilets in schools, for God's sakes, uh, we still have a huge problem with put toilets in, in schools.
0: Yeah.
3: Instead of doing that, we paid money back to debtors in the United States and in Europe. Um, and we're we're going, we're going to pay for that for generations, um, and it's the reason why inequality is a dogged problem. Yep. Um, now, obviously, I, I want to be clear: the ANC has absolutely looted the state to its knees, mm-hmm. but they were following the example that was set that was set for them by the government that exited in nineteen ninety three. Yeah. Um, but the choice to not invest in poverty reduction, to not invest properly in in turning this country around and, and actually ending inequality is a deliberate political choice. Yeah,
1: yeah I mean, um, a, a phrase that I think gets quite commonly used uh, is that apartheid never died in South Africa, right? And um, especially not economic apartheid. And, and like you were saying, you know, just the, the compromises that were made in ninety four um in terms of the implementation of yeah like neoliberalism and uh, world bank imf uh, loans and things like that the the knock-on consequences of that of course cyril Ramaphosa, who's the current president of south africa he he's a former mine worker i believe and and mine union mining union leader he was a lawyer for the
3: national union of mine workers yeah
1: became... For, for the for for the, for the he was a lawyer for the for the for the National yeah. Union of Mine workers. That's it exactly, yeah. And uh, yeah, and then um, yeah. I mean, he was already he, he was already quite a quite a wealthy man by the time he was like in the negotiation room trying to kind of securing a lot of these compromises that that ended up happening, right? So his money came
0: afterwards,
1: but
3: he said he definitely helped set up his own ability to uh to sure. to make money and. Uh, but long money. story short, exactly. it's black economic empowerment, it was just like uh, it, it was share transfers to black capitalism powerful, it wasn't even that hey? it was more just uh, a very powerful ANC figures being given shares and seats on the board in exchange for their political influence mm. and when you remember that um, basically apartheid, the decision to end apartheid came in 1982 when South Africa was going through an incredible uh, uh labor crisis and there were strikes uh, i think at the at, at their peak like thousands of strikes a year yeah. um and uh the mining companies just decided look guys we're going to swallow the we're just going to do this um apparently the the word was would rather be Brazil than Cuba I mean, the shudder down my mm. spine when I hear that, <laughs> yeah. Um, but and they said, Look, we'll, we will accept uh one man, one rule, which was basically the ANC stance, yeah. Um, and that yeah. that decision led to
1: 1985
3: a delegation of, of uh, executives met the ANC in Zambia and. That was, that was that right yeah but
1: I mean uh, yeah just 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 regarding the idea that like yeah um you know economic apartheid in particular never really ended like you were saying you know the the economic inequality that continues to persist in South Africa it's I mean it's one of the most unequal countries in the world in terms of wealth distribution uh um, and um, yeah, even now, like, a lot of the promises of land reform and wealth redistribution that the ANC made in their platform to actually become the ruling party, they were never really fulfilled, were they? And, um, like, this was sort of my understanding as well, was that, like, a lot of the land that was owned by white farmers, by extremely wealthy white farmers, was actually owned by the government still, by by the public banks, basically, at that point. And if, the, if they wanted, they basically could have just taken them and nationalized that land if they if like they could have just like reclaimed it but yeah like you were saying it was like a very deliberate choice not to do that right and to you know continue the status quo as it as it was so there has been an amount
3: of land restitution uh which is a separate thing from land reform yeah so what most people understand when we're talking about land in south africa is some process that basically gives land back to majority, right? But um, the reality became that aside from certain of the very worst cases where communities were living right next to the farm that had been taken from them um, from whence they'd been expelled, um, you know, land gets given back. Um, In some cases, people literally resettle. In other cases, people will accept some deal um, but a lot of that land was commercially developed and by, by the 90s, I mean, the logic of capitalism had meant that we are now talking about a few number of very large landowners yeah. um, running incredibly complex farms yeah. and South Africa is an extremely water scarce country and so it's very di- Agriculture as a whole is very dicey and most people are moving to the cities. Yeah. Right? So, um Aside from people who came and said, this used to be my grandfather's land, is the proof and had that land given mm-hmm. back, land reform, per mm-hmm. se, has not happened. No. Um, we haven't had, basically, land be given back to the people. Um, and there's, I mean, pick your excuse, you know, uh, when, when I speak to agricultural economists and so on, that's... What, that's who you hear from, hey, these people don't know how to run these large-scale farms. Um, And there have been cases where it's been done badly. And, yeah, people have just been handed a farm. And the government doesn't Mm -hmm. give them the liquid cash that you need to run a farm. Yeah, They don't get the right loans. They don't get anything. And, of course, it fails. And then, guess what? That's That's what gets held up in media as this is what land restitution is, this is what land reform is yeah. um, so I, I, I honestly don't know what our future holds in terms of the land because yeah. I'm also keeping one eye on the extremely rapid effects of climate change that in yes. South Africa it is ludicrous it, mm. it is starting mm. so quickly, yeah. about four years ago, four five years ago Town almost ran out of water entirely. I mean, can you imagine a city of uh, over a million people, no water? Um, it it almost uh, uh, got that serious. So, I am wary of black people finally being, you know, some gesture is made and it turns out we've been given back a desert.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I but,
2: yeah.
3: don't think that's going to be a solution.
2: But that, that's the that's the thing. The Agriculture is small in South Africa. It's less than 5% of the economy, and it's still overwhelmingly over 70% of it is owned by white people um, on very big farms, overwhelmingly making things like wine, sort of luxury wine. In this country, the South African wine is typically sort of more towards the higher end um, in terms of like price and stuff. It's quite, it's sort of fairly posh. So, like when you when you think about like land reforms, and you, obviously it makes p- people in the West very nervous to hear about some um, land reforms and redistribution and expropriation without compensation. But the reality is, when you've got a a country um, with this extremely slim agricultural base, uh, which can't achieve self sufficiency or anything like it at the moment and with climate change as well sort of uh, eating away at that you do need some you, you need to take measures for your own security in order to uh, have any kind of sustainable state in the future so it is yeah. uh, it's very reasonable the the talks for for land reforms but yeah it, as soon as you say mention that the the western press goes absolutely crazy they start thinking of zimbabwe and all of that yeah, and last just I think just uh, in
3: the last month, um, a amendment to the constitution for exploration yeah. without compensation was defeated. Yeah. Um. After a long, a lengthy process, and it was very illustrative of the role that the ANC is playing in the democratic state now. Yeah. Where it it acts as this weird referee, but when I say referee, like. basically the guy who was refereeing Liverpool Tottenham yesterday and just making just the most (laughs) horrendous calls you've ever seen just like letting one side have everything and just Just red carding the
2: other side over over and over (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) <laughs> and, and in this in this analogy, Harry Kane
0: being the, 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 the white land on <laughs> but that's, a, that's
2: a good metaphor. The, the,
3: the ANC basically took an EFF, because uh, the EFF ran on uh, getting an amendment through, or at least uh, 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 presenting it in Parliament, and, and they did that. The ANC takes that bill, waters it down, as much as it possibly can, yeah. but not so much that it wouldn't mean anything at all and wouldn't be an attempt to uh, uh, to pass land expropriations without compensation. Yeah. And the purpose of that is to piss off the EFF who don't get what they want mm-hmm. and to piss off the DA and the, the white right in this country yeah. Uh, who, who obviously would freak out about anything that says land. And that's right, as you were saying. So it didn't pass. <laughs> Um, and of course now there's been a big uh, uh, sort of all the baboons running around thumping their chests about, oh we stopped this and, and depending on who you ask it's a completely different answer about why this bill died. Um, but the ANC killed it because their job is to hold to the status quo. yeah, And they're doing a terrible job of, of, of doing so. But there are certain places where they very competent. Parliament is one of the places where the ANC is the referee and basically as as we said when we began um, lots of radical left-wing talk but governing very much as your kind of centre-right uh, um, centrist party that sort of is in charge everywhere in yeah. the world right now Yeah. aside from South America yeah, yeah. A, good,
2: a good example of well, the yeah. ANC kind of Adopting the symbols of the of the left and, and very cleverly uh, was the, the scandal with the Guptas and Zuma uh, when they it was actually a British oh, yeah. firm. They used a British uh, PR firm called Bell Pottinger. Uh, so in order to try and dispel this whole crisis, essentially the, the Guptas had seized, uh, captured the entire South African state. They were basically running it like a mafia. And in order to counter uh, the stories that were coming out in the press, they, um, Bell Pottinger, th- their campaign, they set up a lot of Twitter accounts, a lot of social media, kind of bots essentially, and they they went under this massive uh, campaign to um, kind of racialize the scandal and say actually this this is you know. Um, this is a this is the campaign by white south africans to discredit the Guptas and discredit zuma and um you know it's it's about bitterness and it's about um it is fundamentally racialized and uh, that that ultimately blew up in the end the, the firm bell pottinger uh it's uh collapsed in 2018 lord Lord Bell was actually <laughs> yeah. he was an advisor to thatcher he's still a lord in this country it always comes back to the uk doesn't it Every time time. (laughs) He somehow tried
3: He somehow tried to argue that he came out Or he was innocent Or like that it had nothing to do with him Basically No mate come (laughs) out Yeah but yeah um, That was was a really Very strange time um, in the country And uh, When I think most of us Had to really come to grips with uh, The fact that South Africa is, is ruled by an extremely corrupt kleptocracy
0: yeah. and
3: we just exchanged a, a white elite for a black elite doing exactly yeah. the same thing. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if you were... I was a labour reporter in the early 2010s mm-hmm. um, and I would cover quite a lot of what the trade unions were saying and they were the very, very first to sound the alarm Yep. And of course, got written off immediately because uh, um, they the left, and and that immediately means you're demon. It's no. still our media, um, but you know it 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 came and it came uh, like we it was a punch that we saw coming mm-hmm. in a sense because it just it it depends on which particular faction of the oligarchy happens to be in charge at any one time. Yeah. Uh, that, that that determines what flavor of corruption exactly you're going to get and with Zuma we got this this family from India yeah. um, who are now living large in Dubai. yes, uh, yes. so congratulations to them <laughs>
0: um,
3: And we got this extremely bizarre um, online campaign uh, that turned out to be a, a, a pot creation that till today I really don't know what to make of it. Um, I, I, I don't know. Some of their tactics made absolutely no sense <laughs> whatsoever. I mean, they put so much money into Twitter, for example. And um, South Africa, Twitter doesn't matter as much, you know. Yeah. Um, they tried to buy a newspaper yeah. Yeah. and a TV station. But the overwhelming media in this country in terms of uh, a, a listenership is radio by
2: far and away oh, really? Um, and they just never mm-hmm. they
3: never attempted to uh, use that as a influence medium mm-hmm. but when you think that this is a bunch of uh, bunch of the worst cockheads imaginable sitting in an <laughs> office in London um, <laughs> yeah. trying to picture what a campaign would be in South Africa they made a, a campaign that would make sense in England you know? Twitter, uh, newspaper, (laughs) TV,
1: right? Stoke stoke the culture (laughs) war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. But which is not to say that they didn't do damage. And there are, I mean,
3: there are ex colleagues and people and acquaintances and people I know who got targeted and harassed. And like, as much as we may laugh at being so irony poisoned and being so online that that you don't feel anything anymore, like it. gets to you after a while yeah um so and obviously there is
2: you know is I don't a, want to underplay there is a big history of uh, anti-indian racism obviously in south africa they were during the apartheid years they were i think they were classed the same as blacks pretty much in or was there yeah China? but but with
3: with some differences yeah as was just typical uh, divide and conquer
2: tactics yeah, yeah.
3: you know um and and uh that history is not History, it's it's, oh, yeah, it's yeah, 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 now. I mean, I mean, with all the things that happened, yeah, with the riotings, like yeah. lynchings, and and actual like, racist race lynchings, like it's it's all very present and
0: yeah.
3: Um, so they look if you want to cause problems in this country, if you want to stir up feelings, there are some very obvious uh, uh, go to points and some very obvious uh, buttons you can push. Yeah. The good news is that the there was a definite backlash after that. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why uh, Jacob Zuma... F- uh, uh, so basically, um, at the ANC conference, which elected Cyril Ramaphosa, mm-hmm. Zuma tried very, very hard to get uh, Dr. Kosazana Lamin Zuma uh, to be the ANC president. I mean, she's a respected cabinet minister. Mm-hmm. She's a very influential figure in our politics. Yep. So happens to be his ex-wife. <laughs> and. There was a, a feeling that he 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 thought you'd be able to control things from from the uh, shadows, which I think is very insulting. Of his way more competent ex-wife, <laughs> but um, he that's mm-hmm. what he tried and he failed. Yeah. Um, and Solo Ramaphosa comes through, and Solo Ramaphosa ran a very very odd campaign to win ANC president. I mean, right. when you it, it, it reminded me very much of watching some. South American right-wing person doing their thing, you know, like uh, uh, Julio de Eichmann's, like, campaign, you know. It it was very odd. It was very much like... you know, almost like prostrating <laughs> himself in front of the business sector. Yeah, he he went on this massive splurge. He was paying ANC salaries. He was just buying everyone off. It was so naked and obvious. <laughs> um, and he was like, "Oh, I'm the good, clean one who's going to go against the corruption that you're seeing. I'm the one who's not captured by the Gupters or whatever." Um, and he won by a tiny, squeaky majority. Tiny, very, very small. Um and the thinking was that uh, Jacob Zuma wanted to influence the outcomes of the commission that is now investigating the, uh, what we call state capture, which is just basically like, yeah, the country was was <laughs> the country was infected by this gang
0: that,
3: that like just took over <laughs> the all and diverted all the contracts to themselves yeah um, and that's ongoing, and that's the reason why the jail in and out of prison right now because he doesn't want to go testify because I mean the evidence and what people are saying about him in the commission it's, it's pretty bad man yeah like, he, he's going down and he doesn't want to go testify, and he rather he'd rather get into a fight in the constitutional court over so the he's not in jail for corruption right now or or wasn't just in jail no, for it's corruption for was for to defined, testify the court's
2: order to appear. Yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? They just yeah it's just this commission yeah, just said, laughable. Can you can you please come and talk to us? And he said, No, thank you. So we got fifteen months in prison and I will not be responding. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I will not be reading replies.
2: <laughs> You're just ghosting an entire country.
3: Our our current correctional services minister is his, his, he was the head of um, our our spies our intelligence agency um, under Zuma and is his close ally yep. so he was just like I- I'm just going to let you go and, and, and like and, and like we're not going to notice <laughs> and so when he was asked in court like why did you let him go and what are the reasons why no one had to respond to, to the letter and he was just writing like oh, because, uh, like, I thought, like, jeez, we've never done this to a president. Hey, that's <laughs> not a... So I'm going to let him go. And then the judge just writes there, that, that's not a reason, sorry. <laughs> um, so now, in fact, this morning, his uh, his legal team are trying to um, appeal and, and keep him out of prison. Yeah. So, hey, fingers crossed, he might go back to jail and he might have another split of rioting because yeah. none of the people who instigated the July thing have been arrested
2: yeah
3: I'm not lying not a single person
2: yeah Yeah.
3: and they know who it is by the way they know who did it they know who the instigators are and and it's because it's it's you can't arrest your own comrade man like you you know you can't cross certain
1: lines yeah it's solidarity it's class solidarity and it's the same thing like over here all the time as well like I mean do you think anyone's gonna get like which is why whenever they you know like they, they pull out the stuff about like oh Dominic Cummings broke lockdown like who like yeah. do you think anyone's gonna give a shit like he's gonna face do you think anyone's actually gonna get like and, and like a certain demographic a certain demographic of people your FPP lot care a lot about that but like they're like literally the only people like your ordinary person doesn't give a shit about it like honestly um, and it's the same with this like fucking Christmas party nonsense. Yeah. But um, you know, but when we're talking about like this decline of the ANC, right, and like especially in the uh, in terms of like just their broader legitimacy and um, you know their their left wing credibility and all of these kinds of things, like um, the Zuma years were like really like from two thousand and nine to two thousand and eighteen mm-hmm. were like really like. Really marked that decline, didn't they? And and like one of the most sort of significant events of that period was the the Marikana massacre. Yeah, yeah. twenty twelve. Right? Do you wanna? Do you wanna? Do you wanna tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that? Like the
3: yeah, it was a, it was a very
1: tragic uh, story.
3: Um, so basically, there are always strikes in South Africa at, at one place or another, and mm-hmm. this happened to be at Lonmin. Yeah, which is a British company. Yes, um, and was the fourth largest platinum producer until it got bought out, I think, by Anglo. Someone else Yeah, uh, it's, years ago it, It's a subsidiary and... of,
2: of Lonro Which is the London Rhodesian Mining and Land Company Limited So yeah it was a London based company That's such a cool name <laughs> 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 We love it uh, Yeah Lonro um, um... also Weirdly they owned the Gu- No not the Guardian, the, the Observer Newspaper throughout the 80s Seriously? Yeah that's really odd So it it's, it's wow. since gone bust It's now Samania Stillwater so it's, a, it's a South African. Yeah, thing, yeah. yeah.
3: Um, and um, so uh, basically, uh, there, there had been quite a succession of very unsatisfactory settlements with the uh, National Union of Mine Workers um, and the decline of the South African trade union movement in of itself, is, is just so telling and, and, and kind of really led to Maracana in its own way because yeah. they kept settling for worse and worse and worse uh, deals. Um, one of the ways yeah. in which they got bought out was um, there was some deal which said that um, all uh, trade union bosses, all the presidents and secretaries general and so on would get a salary that was commensurate with the market rate for a chief executive in South Africa which is like up to you can make 10 million pounds a year as a CEO in this country I mean when we're saying most unequal country in the world the the very wealthiest people in this country make money like they live like in in, in Silicon Valley or something Um, oh, and sure. all of that was. I'm from I'm from India. Oh Maybe right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh hell yes. Okay. So so no further explanation necessary there. But um, yeah. the and, and basically the workers really felt betrayed, and they felt a genuine sense of of this split, this this mm-hmm. bourgeoisification of of the uh, trade union leadership in this country. Um, And there were all kinds of things happening at the time, including a split within the Congress of South African Trade Unions, um, in which the more outspokenly left-wing radical National Union of Metal Workers of SA split off and took some unions and left the Union of Mine Workers. Um, And I mean, a, a, a two million plus strong organization with Genuine political heft just gutted itself for no reason whatsoever, mm. Mm. and uh, what you started to see was uh, rival unions that were forming. A lot of them out of wildcat strikes, yeah. And then NUM started to take the side of the mine bosses in terms of dealing with the wildcat strikes for very complicated labour relationship reasons. I shouldn't go into it because it'll take far too long. It was absolutely in NUM's interest to kill off all these wildcat uh, and, and these renegade unions and so on. But it's also very easy to formalize once you organize at work in this country. Yeah. And so th- these rivals are popping up and it's in the middle of all of this. The, 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 the trade union is completely distracted. There are wildcat drugs happening all over the place. All of the demands... Was for a minimum wage of twelve thousand five hundred rand, um, and at the time the minimum wage in South Africa was around four thousand rand, uh, which is, I can't do maths. It's nothing. Um, and, and um, uh uh, I I personally my reporting. Uh, one of the first stories I did around Maragana was speaking to some of these so-called rock drill operators, these very legendary figures mm-hmm. in the South African working class and in the mining industry who who will sit in the tunnels. And because of the way that gold is in the ground here, you can't mechanize that easily. It's all very long, narrow tunnels and these guys have to go in there and hold this boiling hot machine, this this huge drill yeah. Um underground for hours and end. So they they are they are they're very specific physique and they and, and they are all their own little cult. But these guys were making like four or mm-hmm. five thousand rand a month. And they there were all sorts of problems with, with garnishy orders, with money coming out that and, and these guys um, um wouldn't be so uh financially literate that they will know how to navigate debt and so on to so that they don't take this massive hit in their paycheck month and so on. All these things are adding on, right? Yeah. So suddenly when this, this new strike at London that is organized by the jewel operators without the permission of, of NUM, what had happened was that one of the new unions, one of the upstart unions, had a, 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 a called AMCO, had actually managed to get a seat at the negotiation table with the mine owner at the time, but were still... Doubting whether they were going to go for the 12,500 rand demand. And suddenly these rock drill operators say, okay, we're going to form our own. So these guys formed a wildcat strike out of, the renegade, out of disobeying the Renegade Union. So they, 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 was, they were that determined about that demand that they were willing to forsake everybody, including the union that they just joined and formed. <laughs> um, so it's in that crisis that suddenly all these men are shot. Um and uh, basically what had happened was that there had there had been a march in which two security guards had been killed because um uh, they had been barricaded yep. and then they freaked out mm-hmm. and shot into the crowd and then the crowd took them out and then the police get called and that's where the president uh, at the time the deputy president yep. of the country and London director writes this infamous email. Yep in which he had been, one of his colleagues had written to him saying, hey, please sort this out. This is what we pay you for. And then he wrote an, an email and he sent it off to the police and asked for concomitant action. I mean, after these guys, you know, let's be honest, after two security guards have been murdered,
0: yeah. he
3: asked for concomitant action. Then we also the the result of that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. and then obviously that spills out into a major... Uh, a scandal that 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 um, uh, in part helps to propel the career of the EFF because they they played that one one hundred percent correctly at each and every single beat, mm-hmm. including Julius Malema turning up. A, 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 I think two days after the massacre,
0: he was the first politician to show up there. Yeah,
3: and he spoke, and uh, 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 till today, like a a big contingent of the EFF members in parliament are actually people from that community yeah which is something incredible that the EFF does which is they put they put actual working class people in parliament I mean where does that happen
2: and that's ultimately what what's so terrifying about them isn't it that's what um that's where a lot of this demonization comes from the fact that Absolutely yes. Um that's, yeah, basically. <laughs>
3: um yeah, so and, and, and the and the sad thing about Morigana genuinely is that in spite of being this real breaking moment, um and such a shocking scandal, I mean it was on live television and it went on for months afterwards On um, these attacks on this on these miners. Um I mean, it wasn't a one day thing. Um I was I was there Six months, eight months later, and still talking to people who are being attacked at night. Um. So, uh, it, it it was a really nasty, like a state, really really turned with its own mm. people and went to work on them and left this indelible mark on the psyche. But my, uh, regret, I guess, out of it is that because the underlying factors are so South African, you know, poverty, um, mm. inequality, uh, just. Just powerlessness in the workplace, um, the the unholy yeah. alliance between the ANC and capital in this country, and so on. It meant yeah. that Maragana fades slowly into the background as, like, we die by a thousand little Maraganas every day in this country, you know. Yeah. And so that like impact that it had at the time has really waned, um, uh, and to the point where. Cyril Ramaphosa is now genuinely, like, if not an outright hero, but like a a well regarded figure amongst the sort of, you know, your sort of average person in this country who only thinks about politics when they have to vote. Mm -hmm. And they've completely forgotten about Marikana. And now he's the the patriarch of the family who tells us what Mm -hmm. to wear our masks. And he's Mm -hmm. this big cuddly teddy bear. And people have forgotten that he was accused directly by the miners and their lawyers of murdering yeah. them, um, and he only got away with it because, well, what does
2: concomitant actually mean? You know. Yeah, it's such a yeah. it's such a powerful symbol. Obviously, people uh, love to say that. You know, the police, the the foot soldiers of capitalism. But to have this situation where the the deputy president yeah, it was so obvious yeah, the deputy president is also on the board of this mining company, and he orders the police in to protect the interests yeah. of this mining company. Is and then obviously this massive, massive slaughter happens. It's extremely pronounced, and I think it's, it's it cuts pretty deep.
1: There is there is this. Um video clip which does the rounds every so often uh off a bit from a trevor noah stand-up set from some years ago where he talks about the Maricano massacre and it's genuinely one of the most vile pieces of like if you can even call it stand-up comedy that that you've ever seen because it's just pure apologia for the state oh yeah uh the police and like genuinely just just like the first time i i remember seeing that just like being absolutely stunned because even up until that point like my my views on him were like, oh he's like a fairly sort of whatever yeah. milk toast harmless lib whatever but after watching that no this guy is fucking vile no this is this is like you like this is yeah. just one of the worst pieces of like entertainment quote-unquote i've ever i get the sense that
2: he's kind of like james corden that he's not liked in his own country but he becomes very popular in in america he's well unfortunately
3: (laughs) unfortunately he he is um, he does have his audience here but it's because of the fact that ultimately quite a lot of people actually agree with his viewpoint and I learned that to my Mm -hmm. shock uh, as a reporter Mm -hmm. at the time Um, and in spite of making some genuine gains I mean this was still back when I I was a true true believer in in journalism and um, one of these guys who, who later became uh, one of these wannabe Ben Shapiro YouTube types um, and South Africa is just full of them as you can imagine
0: um, and, but at the time
3: he came up to me and he said you know um, I, I thought that uh, the police were right to actually like exterminate these animals and you know, but after I read some of the articles, I was like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess they're actually people. Um, so I, I thought, oh, okay, so I'm actually okay. making an effect here. There's a point to all this trauma that I'm putting myself through and all the rest of that. But I can tell you for a fact, uh, uh, almost a decade later, that that, that went nowhere and yeah. people and Trevor Noah will say that kind of thing and people will laugh and think yeah 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 um so uh I I I, I don't want to romanticize my society and, and especially the kind of people who have two cents to rub together in this country yeah um you'd be shocked yeah. how little it takes to put you in the one percent yeah in South Africa never mind the 10 percent and sure. there's so much disdain yeah. and hatred and like a genuine like like fascistic uh, the hatred really of of poor people yeah. and working class people and uh and this isn't a ra- a racialized thing, although obviously it is to an extent, but yeah. y- you you can find many Africans who will tell you those kinds of things and and will believe that wholeheartedly and yeah, yeah, that's what I that's what keeps me up at night, that's what makes me really fear for my country, which is that we're running out of time in terms of being able to implement progressive politics and to be able to implement politics that benefit... I mean, I'm talking about wealth redistribution, for fuck's sake. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. If, if we don't show that to work very, very quickly and very, very soon, um, we're going to lose the people. And I don't think there's any basis for the left to think we'll ever get them back if that
1: happens. Before we do sort of wrap things up today, uh, like I've said before, right, there there is a, a short article that I wanted to read with you guys. We don't normally tend to do like a sort of read along here on leftover, but there's this, uh, there's one particular article that, that came up uh, while researching. And I feel like I, I just have to share this, not just with you guys, because I believe that neither of you have read it yet either. So um, it be like a sort of first time reaction uh, but uh, not just with you guys, but with with, with our audience as well. Um, and it is by uh, a very, fav- very favorite writer of ours, uh, Matthew Paris, a man who recently uh, made a case for breaking away from the UN Refugee Convention. Uh, <laughs> uh, a man who regularly writes that, like, no travelers should actually be rounded up uh, and put in camps, probably, you know. Um, and And a man who writes regularly the topic of the discussion here uh, in, in in support of in in favor of of Cecil Rhodes. Uh, and, <laughs> and this is an article that that Matthew Parrish wrote uh, back in two thousand and sixteen in you know our favorite publication uh, of all really the The Spectator. Um, and, uh, you know, like, just, just a place where you know you're going to get the most normal takes imaginable. You're going to get the best Ghislaine um, Maxwell well, apology yeah, yeah, like, like, uh, possible. Exactly. You know, like, in like you, you see just pieces like In Defense of the Verma, <laughs> In Defense of Ghislaine Maxwell, In Defense of Golden Dawn, In Defense of Keir Starmer. In <laughs> Defense of Samoa, who's a
0: French fascist? <laughs> In, oh yeah yeah yeah, eric yeah. Zemmour, yeah. exactly
1: yeah. like yeah. douglas murray who like um i interviewed eric Zamor. uh like you know he's he's a regular writer for the for the uh, spectator writing just just some of the most viciously anti-semitic things that you could imagine um but yeah so uh this is matthew paris writing uh in uh, back in 2016 uh, this piece is entitled, Here's My Solution to the Problem of the Cecil Rhodes Statue at Oriel College. And it begins. Lobengula was the second king of the Matabele uh... in what is now Zimbabwe. He was also the last. <laughs> Cecil John Rhodes smashed his authority and broke his tribe. The Matabele, a breakaway people from the Zulu kingdom to the south, had been making their way north, and by the time Rhodes arrived on the scene, were in effective control of a vast area of southern Africa, stretching from the Limpopo River and the Zambezi. Matabeleland was rich, was rich in minerals, and the tribe was being pestered by white prospectors. Rhodes saw his opportunity. He made an ally of Lobangula, who had been king since uh, 1869, and in 1888 persuaded him to grant Rhodes' as emissaries an exclusive deal known as the Rudd Concession. Lobengula could not read or write, and key parts of the understanding were verbal. But I've never heard it seriously disputed. And here's my first favorite sentence from this uh, from this article: Even in the unwaveringly pro Rhodes version of history, I absorbed. During my Rhodesian
0: <laughs> boyhood. <laughs> <laughs> he still, still it in Rhodesia in 2000. And, well, when
2: was this 2019 or so, 2016. That is but, so creepy, man. That's yeah, exactly. a huge red flag. R- Rhodesian boyhood.
0: Oh my gosh. Um,
1: so so it has never been seriously disputed, even among pro Rhodes' version of history, that, that Rhodes tricked Lobengula. As a king, he admired and trusted the dynamic white man in whom he recognized the qualities of leadership. For £100 per month, a steamboat, and 1,000 rifles plus ammunition, Lobengula believed he was selling the mineral rights to his territory. He didn't uh, He didn't realize, uh, <clears throat> uh, editor, he didn't realize uh, Rhodes intended to occupy it. Rhodes himself described the concession As so gigantic, it is like giving a man the whole of Australia. Within a year, Rhodes had attained a charter for his company so that legally he was unassailable, uh, the eyes of a suspicious British, so that legally he was unassailable the eyes of a suspicious a of British typings. government again. Yeah. Who is writing this? In the eyes of a British government, he was. Yeah, <laughs> this is painful. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Uh, who is editing this? Uh, you know, uh, I, I, I do closer editor editorial control on my medium blog posts. <laughs> <than this. laughs>
0: um,
1: soon, prospectors and settlers and a police force moved in on Rhodes' orders. The Maxim gun followed. The Matabele uh, re- uh, rebelled in 1893. They were utterly defeated. Lomengula, deceived into selling his people for a mess of potage, had fled. I died, He died a few months later of an imported disease, smallpox. I recall... Even among the hardened white supremacists, among it's whom I grew up, to his family an though. embarrassment. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, at least he's being at least he's being honest about it, right? An embarrassment about Lobengula's fate. I should like to have known him, witty, sharp, and every inch a king, according to those who did. He comes across as having a generosity of spirit that was his undoing. Do you ever see a chameleon catch a fly? He asked towards the end of his life the chameleon gets behind the fly and remains motionless for some time. Then he advances very slowly and gently, first putting forward one leg and then another. At last, well within reach, he darts out his tongue and then the fly disappears. England is the chameleon and I am that fly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty apt metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> I admire... Now, here's here's my... Like, like, here's where it starts to get really good. This is... In... Matthew Parrish's own words, the next paragraph. I admire Rhodes tremendously. <laughs> I admire his achievements, and I'd argue that what is now Zimbabwe is the better is is better for his life and work. His racism was routine for his era. <laughs> no, it and wasn't. He was not unusually cruel. It was sensitive By people who looked he, at the time, they said, "Dude, exactly. calm down." Contem- con- contemporaneous to him, contemporaneous to him, there were many people who said that this. Oh, guy was I hate it so to much so, when they say that. Uh, he, so, his his racism was routine for his era And he was not unusually cruel So I would not blame yeah, him For his racial attitude
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: But the fact he oh really was As London very well knew An unscrupulous yeah. chancellor Rhodes was a dreamer, an achiever, and a rascal. A lover <laughs> of
0: fighting. <my time. laughs> this
1: is so good. This is actually yeah. so good. So following paragraph, it goes, oh I've God. been observing with a certain doubtfulness the high horses on which both sides in the dispute over the future of Rhodes' statue at Oriel College seem to be riding. I wouldn't dream of removing it, but that's partly because I admire them. <laughs> A coward. So <laughs> really saying the quiet part out loud there uh, The argument used against Oxford students Campaigning against the statue Appears to be that you can't rewrite history This argument is way too strong I don't remember hearing it from Tory friends when a Baghdad mob was stopping.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, was saying,
1: in 2003, I cannot call to mind protests from Times and Telegraph readers as statues of V.I. Lenin came down all across the former Soviet block. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Issuing
3: correction I, on previous post of mine
1: regarding Cecil Rhodes.
0: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh my God. <laughs>
1: I'm afraid that we do regularly decry, debase, or uh, uh, destroy monuments to individuals who history has subsequently decided were bad eggs. Personally... I leave in place the many statues erected to General Franco in Spain and retain the names of the many town squares named after him. But I do understand the feelings of those millions who think otherwise. Oh my God! <laughs> That's very magnanimous of you, Matthew. It's really good that you're probably not running cultural <laughs> policy in Spain. <laughs> just, just gonna put it out there. Um, oh my God! So oh, and, and and I'm telling you, like this this article, it really. Up until now, whatever you think you've heard in this article, you have no idea what's coming next. All right. Okay. So here's a modest proposed compromise. How about a statue of the great Matabela King, Lobengula, somewhere at Oriel where Ah! he and Rhodes can see each other? There is, you see, no danger of important figures from our Western European history being forgotten But Lobengula, whose name was once familiar to British newspaper readers, is now almost completely forgotten, even by a younger African generation in Zimbabwe. The deposed Matabele king was... When the white man crossed the Limpopo River from the south, in the process of subjugating and oh, dispossessing by force oh, the right, tribe, yes. inhabiting those lands, the Mashona, an an unwarlike and pastoral people who were not united by the imperial hierarchy of the Mata, uh, as the Matabele were, and were no match for the Lobengula's fearsome warriors, Robert Mugabe and his ZANU PF party. Are essentially a Mashoda political a movement regaining jump. after yeah. a century of their. <laughs> Hang on like, a second! After a century, their Is this going to generally. excuse Kokurahundi? Is, is this where we're going? Just, just, just <laughs> wait for it. Wait for it. And there's no point in that in modern Zimbabwean politics, the Matavele have not been favored by the government in Harare. So here's my quid pro quo for Lovengula rejoining Rhodes at an oh, no. Rhodes, Rhodes' body lies beneath a simple plaque in a rock grave in the beautiful granite Mot- 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 Motobo Hills in the Bulawayo.
0: <laughs>
1: I think that when he dies, Mugabe should take a place beside
0: <laughs> the Oh my god.
1: <laughs> they were both they were both great leaders, as was Holy all three shit did terrible things. All three did great things. <laughs> all three changed history. All three are among the architects of modern Africa north of the Limpopo. All three were prisoners of their era and circumstance, as we all are. <laughs> Yet all three transcended their time to some degree. Their spirits will always walk the African bush. <laughs> Do we have to judge all the time? Could we not just acknowledge? There. Now I'll have annoyed both sides. <laughs> if the, <laughs> the end.
2: if pro Mugabe camp I'm... is mad at me <laughs> and the pro Cecil Rhodes camp is mad at me, this must mean I'm doing something wrong. Right. Joke is... I, I, I'm, I'm changing my
3: opinion. This is a great one.
2: <laughs> Sorry, Matt, you didn't annoy me. I laughed. Again, it's annoying. Yeah, like it's what, it's no one, one can great, really isn't. articulate the huge achievements of Cecil Rhodes. Like his his main, he's kind of he's got like a, <laughs> a bit of an Elon Musk vibe to him in that he. he made I was just room. about to yeah. say his achievement was
3: basically cornering the print. Yeah. Attention! That's it.
2: Yeah, and he he, he, had all <laughs> he the, got all the newspaper articles. He he had a he had all these huge <laughs> dreams of like building the uh, the Cape Town to Cairo railway, when he got nowhere near it at all. Like he he didn't yeah. even get no. through like Congo, like about like a quarter of the way through. So it was like he, you couldn't do that <laughs> today. No, no. I don't I think, think the chairman's time... no, probably not. It's, so it's, it's very, it's very Musk esque in terms of how it's just the, just a series of empty it, it is the <laughs> Las Vegas loop, of it time. yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my god, that was it's a SpaceX of his time, basically <laughs> just trying to trying to get on top of the amount of. Apology and so he's he's pro Franco Mugabe and Cecil Rhodes. Yeah. And but also he admires uh, I, Robin Gula, the Matavelli And I
3: genuinely think he actually thinks that the nineteen eighties massacres were some sort of a cosmic justice or something. Yeah. My yeah. God, dude.
0: Oh my god.
1: I mean, this is a man who has, in this very article, admitted to growing up a yeah. what
3: I was just going to say, this is the most ridiculous Georgia. article I have read in a long time. And this is the thing that I try and tell people who aren't as familiar with South Africa or just Southern African <laughs> politics, which is like, yeah. you can be a Tea Party liberal in this country and have a newspaper column and so on and believe... Straight up Nazi shit Yeah, oh yeah. And you're a liberal And that is <laughs> yeah. like the middle line yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> That is like That is so Rhodesian It's absolutely perfect Oh mm. my god
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Definitely um, uh. But yeah I, I don't know Did you guys have much more to sort of Discuss because I'm also keeping an eye on the time And I think otherwise we can probably Wrap things up what what do you guys reckon yeah that's a good spot I,
0: reckon.
2: Uh, I think as we've just given everyone brain damage yeah. we should probably uh, wrap up <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs>
1: much to, much to think about I think that's what we've given them food for thought yeah just just a massive thanks yeah. for today in that case before I just keep on saying yeah no like it's been really really great uh as always but uh no honestly this has been fantastic very informative and uh yeah I think for myself, uh, I think all of our listeners as well. So yeah, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thanks so much for today. Um, yeah, thanks for like inviting. At the beginning, it's been a pleasure. Um, like I said at the beginning as well, did you have any plugs or any um yeah. any any, any shout-outs or any social media before we go?
3: I'm only sporadically a dirty columnist these days, so <laughs> mm-hmm. but um <laughs> I guess you can follow me on Twitter at ComradeSepo. I'm good Craig. So mm-hmm. Uh, that's where you can mostly find me. Um, I follow back if you call. Cool, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: that's that's an offer from a real Bluetooth <laughs> to follow back. So definitely, you know, <laughs> think about it. Put your make sure your make sure your best tweets are pinned when you're following. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just just a huge thanks again for today. It's been a lot of fun. I uh, really enjoyed it. Um, as always, I'm Arjan at Arjanistan and on Twitter. I'm Rory
2: at FW the <laughs> <laughs>
1: and uh, we are at Leftover Pod on Twitter and on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Leftover Pod. In case you don't know, we have posted our first ever Patreon episode, so do check it out. It's a monthly review for November and we are going to be doing these monthly reviews moving forwards as well, uh, as well as written content. So yeah, do keep an eye out. Uh, Lots of exciting stuff coming up. Uh, Massive thanks to all of the the people who are already supporting us. And yeah, if you want to get access and support us like what we do, please do that. It makes a big difference. (laughs) Uh, And uh, yeah, other than that, obviously a huge thanks to Connor for the production, to Cardio for the music, all of you for listening and we'll catch you all next time cheers